0: Welcome to the cybersecurity readiness podcast series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of cybersecurity readiness, a holistic and high performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an Associate Professor of Management Information Systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and Visiting Professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Art Ewan, Vice President of Palo Alto Networks. Art has extensive experience in the field of cybersecurity, having worked both in the public and private sector. To share a few highlights of his work experience and expertise, as vice president at Palo Alto Networks, Art manages federal and international customer relationships. He provides cybersecurity advisory services to board of directors, chief information security officers, chief risk officers, and senior management of risk mitigation. Art has also been retained as a cybersecurity expert for matters that include Marriott International, Capital One, Equifax, Anthem, Sony, and others. He has also been involved in cybersecurity operations in organizations such as USAA, Cisco Systems, and he has served with the Federal Bureau of Investigation as a Supervisory Special Agent in Computer Crime Investigations. Last but not the least, Art is a colleague of mine at Duke University's Master of Engineering in Cybersecurity Program, where he'll be teaching a class on security incident response and resilience. Our discussion today will focus on ransomware attacks. And I can't think of a better person than Art to discuss this topic and more. So I'm sure we are all excited to hear from him. Without any further ado, Art, welcome. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak
2: with you and uh, the audience about uh, what uh, what I'm seeing um, in, in the world of ransomware, which unfortunately uh, has exploded in the past couple of years and uh, i anticipate will continue to grow as uh, the uh, the threats to corporations continues to increase
1: before we started the recording you made the statement that the companies keep making the same mistakes you tell us more about it yeah
2: so you know some of the Basic things, some of the, the hygiene that you would expect to see um, in organizations, um, for whatever reason, um, sometimes aren't done right. So, um, I, I'm specifically I'm going to mention uh, patch management, right? Because, I mean, attackers have several ways of getting into an organization. Um, you know, it can be through a phishing attack. It could be through, through uh, you know, an attack on credentials. Um, But another way obviously is through vulnerabilities and systems and if those system vulnerabilities exist um, an attacker can leverage that to to access the network. So that highlights to me the importance of hygiene around patch management, you know, making sure that uh, you've got a vulnerability management program and uh, that you implement it so that as vulnerabilities are identified on systems, uh, you're you're patching them in in a timely fashion now. Having said that, um, and having been on uh, on the back end of, of corporations where I've been a CISO or enacting CISO, sometimes it can't be difficult, right? Because there's so many dependencies in in systems that maybe if you do you know, put a patch into a system without appropriate testing, um, you're potentially going to break something where your customers are no longer able to access your data. Or you may create additional vulnerabilities. So you close one vulnerability, but you create additional vulnerabilities uh, downstream. So I I do understand that you need to be careful um, when identifying vulnerabilities and conducting patch management. But there are vulnerabilities, certain vulnerabilities like the, the recent Log4j that um, are so critical that you absolutely have to patch those systems, especially on the perimeter. Um, And then I've I've been talking to companies here since that uh, the Log4j vulnerability was posted. And, uh, you know, to me, it's one of the largest vulnerabilities I've seen in a very, very, very long time, just because of the the potential for an attacker to access uh, the corporation with, you know, potentially leaving little trace evidence, right? Um, So, and in my discussions with companies, I mean, especially the large companies, they were immediately looking at identifying where that vulnerability existed and then trying to patch it without breaking anything, um, at least at the perimeter. And then now companies I see are now trying to go in the back end because this vulnerability, even if patched at the at the perimeter, if it exists in your back end systems, um, it's still vulnerable and um, and and you know one of the things that that I do hear from from organizations is I I I don't understand what my environment looks like. It's a complex environment on the back end, or some of these these um, questions come up. You know, with customers that. Uh, you know, they need help, right? They need assistance in, in identifying what the data flow looks like, what the network looks like. So it isn't easy. And I, I I will, I will always agree when, when the CISO says it's hard. I absolutely agree. It's hard. Um, but there are certain things that in my opinion, um, patch management, you just have to be doing it right. Um, especially, especially critical vulnerabilities. It's, uh, one of the things that uh, we need to put, you know, those, those appropriate controls in place to, to pre- protect, um, you know, when a critical
1: vi- vulnerability is, is identified. Fair enough, fair enough. So let's back up a little bit. For the benefit of our listeners, if you would um, explain what ransomware attack is, yeah. what's the threat landscape like, who are the threat actors, that would be very beneficial oh absolutely
2: okay so i'll start with yeah what is ransomware ransomware is is a an attack that uh, a threat actor will conduct and that threat actor usually organized crime or some criminal group and uh, now i'm not uh, i won't say it's never going to be a nation state cuz you could potentially have a nation state masking their activity um, as a ransomware attack when they're actually burrowing into your infrastructure. But a a ransomware attack is an attack uh, that is designed to encrypt systems, encrypt data, so you no longer have access either to the systems or your data. Now, what's happened in the past, say year two, is that the threat actors, as they've come to realization, uh, that some companies are able to recover on their own, right? They're able to recover their systems because they do a real good backup process of, uh, you know, real good uh, disaster recovery process, you know, and, and thus are not uh, inclined then to, to conduct negotiations with the threat actor to, to pay them to get access to their systems. What the threat actors have, are now doing is they've upped their game. And by that, I mean, What they now do is uh, along with encrypting your systems and your data, um, they're doing now something called double extortion. They're also stealing your data before they encrypt it. And now they're forcing you to negotiate. Even if you can recover your systems on your own, even if you can recover your data on your own with your backups and your disaster recovery business continuity plan, you are still forced to negotiate, to get an agreement from them that they're not gonna post that you know, customer data that, you know, protected health information out on the internet. So, um, and then now they've even increased that tempo because now the threat actors are going to triple extortion where they're encrypting system data, they're stealing data, and they're launching a denial of service attack on you so that your business is no longer able to function. And then we're now seeing something called quadruple extortion where they're doing all three of those but they're adding the element that they're now communicating with your customers, whose data they have, and telling their your the, your customers or your patients, "Hey, uh, we've got your data. We breached, you know, the organization, and we're going to post this information to the internet. You might want to talk to you know your company that has this uh, that whom, from whom the data we stole, and tell them to do the right thing and pay us, right? Um, so you know now they're push, putting that pressure on the company." because now they're notifying the victims as well that uh, they've got your data. So, um, so they've really, you know, up their game in, in, in a sense because, you know, they're really forcing an organization now to negotiate and, and make some kind of payment to get those assurances that, uh, you know, they're going to stop that activity. So uh, um, yeah, the number of matters I, you know, that we see now um, every year, they're increasing and, and they continue to increase. I, I, I certainly, in 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 as I look at the future, I, I certainly don't see a, a future where I'm saying, "Hey, uh, ransomware is going to come down. It's just so much money to be made, right? And uh, these uh, threat actors uh, have identified that there's a lot of money to be made, so it's it's a very cost effective way to commit crime and and make
1: make money. I was uh, just uh, reading an article where it states that there's a severe increase in ransomware attacks. Yeah. Sab- cyber security authorities from Australia, the United Kingdom, United States, have published a joint advisory warning yeah. of an increase in sophisticated high impact ransomware attacks targeting critical infrastructure organizations across the world. And that's what concerns me. Means you don't want a ransomware attack on anyone, individuals, organizations. But I especially worry about the critical infrastructure you know, you were candid enough to say that it's difficult. It's not an easy task to be super protected, to do the kinds of patch management and other things that needs to be done. But having said that, given the severe consequences of these attacks, what are you finding out there, um, both public sector and private sector? Uh, what is the level of preparedness? Yeah,
2: so I think it's going to depend on on, on industry, Dave, um, you know, especially critical infrastructure. You know, there's more regulation around financial services, around uh, energy. Um, so typically organizations that fall under some kind of regulatory regime um, typically, you know, are putting more of an investment in, in, in protecting the organization. Um, also organizations where there's more um, board involvement, um, more, um, you know, governance and, and oversight, um, because, you know, in my opinion, especially with with publicly traded companies, um, you know, they have a board, for instance, if, if, if there's an engaged board that's asking questions of the cybersecurity program on a regular basis, um, that's going to, you know, I, I think for the sea level that shows that, you know, if the board is very interested in this, we as a sea level obviously have to also support those type of activities and, and make sure that they get the appropriate funding, they get the appropriate, um, you know, resources that are needed. Now, again, there's always outliers, right? So, um, and, and by that, I mean, you know, companies you know they they exist obviously to 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 generate revenue, right? I mean they they produce a product or they provide a service, and and for the purpose of generating revenue, um, sometimes you know if if you're in a particular industry and 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 you're trying to make a determination, do I you know do i put more money into cyber or do i put more money into customer satisfaction you know that's sometimes that's a hard one right because you've got limited dollars and and trying to make that desi- decision is sometimes Difficult, right? If if you're the CEO, um, you know you want to do the right thing, make sure the company's protected, but you also want to make sure that you know your customers are happy and you're doing everything you know possible to to provide those either products or services. So sometimes that's a very difficult balancing act uh, for you know executives, right? To 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 have to manage, right? Because in a perfect world, they they would have enough funding for everything, but it's it's never a perfect world, and and there's always going to be that push-pull inside of an organization. You know, the cyber the, the cyber organization is going to be asking for money and resources, you know, and 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 operations is asking for money and resources, and the CEOs, you know, got a limited budgets to work with, and you know, he's trying to do the right thing, um, you know, to may, maybe you know keep both constituents happy, right? I make sure that I'm protected, and I make sure my my customers are happy and, and it's a, it's a balancing act. And I think that's why it's important, um, you know, to have that, uh, governance and oversight, um, with, with, uh, with uh, uh, the board, um, you know, so that they can provide, you know, that,
1: uh, you know, that, that top level guidance to, to the organization. You know, you talk about governance, oversight, regulation, it brings to mind, Sarbin Soxley, Socks. Uh, as you might know, uh, Sarbanes Soxley was introduced when fraudulent accounting transactions were taking place. Yeah. And there wasn't that level of top management commitment to ensure that those kinds of activities didn't happen. So it took legislation to get senior leadership attention. Yeah. And it's my hunch that we are going that way even with cyber. There are some regulations out there. Existing laws are being used to regulate cyber activities or um, to provide reasonable oversight. But I I almost feel that there's gonna be a major legislation which will come down the pipe and that's gonna really get everybody's attention. Because like you said, uh, it is a hard balance for the CEO. Yeah, yeah. But then, if you have that regulatory pressure, the regulatory burden, that would force you to do the right thing when it comes to cybersecurity competency, cybersecurity due diligence. And I know this is easier said than done. It's a great conversation to have, but for people who are uh, ha- trying to make things happen, it's a, it's a tough ask. Given your experience, you know, you've been in industry, you've actively engaged with the senior leadership. Have you seen any best practice out there or any exemplars where irrespective of the directive, irrespective of board oversight, there is a conscious commitment? It's like woven into the organizational culture that we must create and sustain a high-performance information security culture. Have you seen evidence of that
2: oh, oh absolutely
1: uh, yes I, I certainly see it
2: um you know again especially with the art large organizations that uh, you know have you know have a dedicated program right um so it is possible um i i will say that uh a cybersecurity program is a dynamic thing right it's 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 a living to me it's a living thing that that is always um, changing as the threat evolves, right? Because as, as I mentioned earlier with ransomware, right? You know, as, as, as organizations put up defenses, um, the threat actors, you know, put up countermeasures, right. To, to, to get around those defenses. So um, cybersecurity can never be static. Um, and, and if, if it's static, then I, I, I fear then that a company maybe is not uh you know, thinking about uh, the the you know the the how would I say the evolving nature of of of, of cyber threats, um, and and because of the evolving nature of cyber threats, um, you've got to have a dynamic program. And to me, a dynamic program, you know, you would have um, one. You would have a a a program that follows a a recognized cybersecurity standard or framework and and I'll throw out I'll throw out like the NIST cybersecurity framework right um, it's been around since 2014 it's it's uh i i recently saw some statistics that over 50% of uh large corporations um are are adhering to to that framework right because that framework gives you a baseline, right? Um, the NIST cybersecurity framework is designed to establish a baseline, and then also assist an organization in determining what is that future state of the cybersecurity program look like. Um, but what I really like about it is, again, it's, it's dynamic in nature in that you never reach a state where you're, I'm completely happy and, and I will never be breached um, because again, We've got to stay dynamic, um, and, and there's NIST, and you know you've got uh, the the ISO twenty seven zero zero one two series, you've got the the CIS twenty. So there's a number of standards out there. But to me, when I'm looking at an organization, I'm gonna say, okay, this organization is is on track. They're thinking, you know, they're putting that security mindset. Um, I look to see if they've got are they are they mapping to one of these. Recognize cybersecurity standards. Now, you brought up the the regulatory regime. Um, having worked with uh, having worked with regulators in the past, where I've been hired as a, you know, kind of a, an, an expert advisor to regulators when they're when they're conducting uh, an an investigation or analysis of a regulated company. Um, I will tell you the regulators are using the NIST CSF as their model um, to assess companies, um, and then even re- more recently, um, the, the the U.S. Department of Defense uh, they they actually re- released a, a a something called the CMMC the the Cybersecurity Mat- uh, Maturity Model Certification um, that is a requirement for organizations that are doing business with the US Department of Defense to follow the, the CMMC um, in order for them to be able to do business with uh, the, the Department of Defense. I would anticipate as I look at the the CMMC, um, as its effectiveness grows, I, I, I potentially would forecast that other um Agencies within the United States government, uh, Homeland Security or uh, Veterans Affairs. I would see other organizations potentially adopting a similar model, where they will say to to organizations, if you're going to do business with us, you have to go through this 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 accreditation and and get certified in order to do business with us. Um, so uh, again, that adds more of that kind of. You know, kind of a regulatory type type spin for organizations um, that uh, I I would envision would uh,
1: would flow down to 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 uh, the corporate sector. Um, you're talking about frameworks, and there are several out there, and yeah. I've had the I've had uh, the opportunity to review them when I was authoring my book. They're all great frameworks. Yeah, but. What I have found from my work is there's a significant variance in how these organizations follow the framework. Yeah. How disciplined is their approach in following, in complying with, or following through with the guidelines? Uh, you know, often I have seen it's like, let's check the box here. Yeah. You're supposed to offer this kind of training, we have done it move on, as opposed to going deeper and making sure the training is substantive, it is year round, it is continuous. So that's where I have seen a difference between having frameworks and the frameworks guiding cybersecurity operations and truly following the framework in a very disciplined and committed manner. And there being some oversight to ensure that the compliance is thorough, the compliance is meticulous. What have you seen, Dave? I will agree with you that
2: that I mean, to me, a framework is is only as good as the the implementation, and as good as the the um, following of that framework, right? Because yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I've seen I've seen plenty of organizations that are, you know, that are you know, box checking and, and they suffer a breach um, because when you get past the box checking, um, they're not, you know, they haven't actually implemented correctly, right? So so it's more than just checking the box. If you're just checking a box, um, in my opinion, you're not meeting the, you know, maybe you're meeting the spirit of the framework, but you're not actually doing uh, what you really need to be doing to ensure the security of the organization. So, yeah, I mean, when I think of frameworks, right? So, so PCI, right? That's a, a framework for um, organizations that handle uh, credit card data. I, I have seen many, many, a organization that are PCI compliant. They've checked off the box that have suffered breaches, and you, at, you, you know, the questions asked. Well, they they they've been accredited you know, by, by an assessor and they, you know, all the boxes were checked off, yet they still suffered the breach. It's because we didn't do that deeper digging, um, um, unfortunately. So if, if, if you're just looking to, hey, you know, I'm going to follow this and, and, you know, so I can check off the boxes, maybe in spirit, you know, you're following the framework, but you certainly are doing good cybersecurity. You're, you're not, you know, you're not, Going deeper than just checking a box. So I, yeah, I, I can't tell you the number of organizations that I've seen that have checked off the boxes and they still suffer a breach. And then when you're doing the analysis, you you when you dig in, it's like, okay, you checked off a box, but you didn't do these things. You know, these 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 things underneath that box um, that thus allowed and contributed to
1: the breach to occur. Yeah, exactly. Uh, In fact, talking about PCI standards it brings uh, back memories of a major breach that happened several years ago. I don't want to name the organization, but there was detailed reports and, and of the findings. And one of the very concerning finding was they were warned by their auditors that they were not in compliance with most of the PCI standards. Yeah. And they did nothing about it. Sure. So I'm sure all kinds of things are happening there. And it again, goes back to what we started the discussion with, like why are companies making the same mistakes over and over again? You shared with us the challenges that senior executives face, but at the same time, there is this reality of ransomware type attacks that keep getting more sophisticated and it's a, it's a, it's a game that's hard to win. Yeah. Um, so, so going back to ransomware attacks, um, um, let's talk a little bit about what does a ransomware negotiation look like. Not that I'm a fan of ransomware negotiations. In fact, I think the recommendation is not to negotiate. But yeah. please share with the listeners your thoughts.
2: Yeah. So, and and I will agree with you. Um, uh, you know, I I'm not a fan of of paying a criminal. To, to get access to your systems and your data. Um, I certainly you know, don't support it, but there are occasions where a customer will say, I have no other choice, um, I, my, syst- my backups are encrypted and uh, you know, I need my data um, and uh, healthcare provider, right? You can't be down. Um, so there are certain industries that absolutely cannot be down, they've gotta be up um, you know, for public safety. And uh, they've got no other recourse. So if that occurs, then you know you 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 contact the threat actor, and again, these communications are taking place on you know the dark web, right? Um, they give you an address where you can contact them. Um, they tell you what they're looking for. Um, you know, you you get an understanding of of you know what kind of payment they're looking to be made, um, and you know it's it's a it's literally a back and forth. Um, you want to have you want to get a proof that they really do have the keys you know you you provide them with with a file that's encrypted that and you know the contents of that file um they get it they they unencrypt it and send it back to you so that you know that indeed they do have the key um you know and then you're 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 negotiating a, a price right that uh, everyone can agree to um once that's that agreement is made you know payment is made uh in cryptocurrency um you know you name the cryptocurrency and uh you know payments made after you've got the 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 guarantees you know from if they're if cyber insurance is going to pay or you know the law firms um uh, the 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 customer um and then uh you you help with the the payment one of the other things i need to real quickly bring up as well though is um if if this is going to occur, if, if if contact with a threat actor is going to take place, at least in the U.S., um, because of uh, uh, you know U.S. Treasury requirements, uh, you know uh, checks have to be made, um, uh, and, and they're typically made by a you know the the insurance company by the by the law firm to see if the uh, the threat actor group is potentially a sanctioned group. Um, so uh, as an example, Reval um, was a sanctioned group. So an a, a, a American organization, American Corporation um, could find themselves in, in legal jeopardy, for instance, if they were to, uh, uh, you know, uh, make payment to, to one of these sanctioned groups. so, so checking, checking the sanctions list to make sure it's not a sanctioned group is going to be very important. But again, it's that communication back and forth. Um, you know, getting assurance that indeed they have the key, making payment, getting a copy of the key, analyzing that key to make sure it doesn't contain anything that uh, it potentially is gonna be nefarious, right? You wanna make sure that uh, the key in using the key, it's not gonna potentially download um, additional payloads. Um, and then helping the organization start unencrypting. On encrypting. Um, one of the things I wanna point out that, uh, uh, I think a lot, especially a lot of executives and a lot of, I think, boards, there's this view out there, okay, if this happens, I get a ransomware tech, we pay and, you know, we get the key in, you know, the next day we're up and back in operation. Um, you know, unfortunately, that's, uh, I want to dispel that myth that, you know, you get the key and you're back in operation, you know, the next day. It typically is going to take several days, even when you get the key, um, because you know you want to make sure that your systems that you're recovering don't contain any back doors um, in some cases organizations are building a, a, a green field a clean environment uh, to go into um, so it's it's typically multiple days um, especially large organization multiple weeks multiple months as you're restoring back to operation so so even when payment is made um, it is it is not as quick as you know, I'm up and running the next day and everything is great. And, uh, you know, I'm back, back to business. It's, uh, it's typically an effort, um, uh, a long-term effort to, to, to really get
1: back to operations. Good to know. Thanks for sharing. So um, in your opinion, what is the best defense against ransomware attacks? And you've already shared with us, that you know patch management is important, but that can be challenging. What else? What else should companies be doing to yeah. reduce the possibility of such attacks? Companies encrypting their own data um, so that
2: even if a threat actor gets access to them, um, they're not able to do anything with it, um, would, would, be, would be a great defense. Having your backups in uh, an environment where, you know, it's, it's not connected to the, to the network, um, having backups that are immutable so that they can't be changed. Um, you know, one of the first things that these threat actors do um, when they get into the environment, literally is where are the backups? They're looking for the backups because those are gonna be some of the first systems when they hit you with uh, the with ransomware attack. They're going after the backups, right? So if you can protect those backups, um, it's absolutely, I think, very critical for you to be able to restore operations on your own. If you can, you know, if you can do that on your own because your backups are unimpacted. impacted. Um, and like I said, I mean, uh, segmenting the network. I, I'm a big fan of segmentation. Again, it's not easy. I'll, I'll be the first ones again, having been, you know, in the CISO seat. Um, Segmentation, especially if you've got a large network and and you know you've you've grown it and it's never really been properly segmented, it, it could be a multi-year effort, right? But I'm a big fan of segmentation. I mean, I've i i worked with uh worked with a healthcare organization some time ago that uh, suffered a, a a ransomware attack, and uh, there were three companies uh, under the umbrella company, be, but because of Lack of segmentation. Instead of just getting access to one company, they got access to all three companies within the umbrella because there was zero segmentation. So, so segmentation. You know, um, you know, uh, a, a, a robust uh, backup plan um, where those aren't accessed. And not only that, a robust recovery plan. Right. That's just as important. Um, you know, testing your recovery is absolutely critical. Right. Um, because if, again, something bad does happen, have you even tested your recovery capability um, so that you know you can recover in you know, X amount of time of critical systems? So, so there are certainly things that we can do um, because I, I'll be the first one to tell you that there's no such thing as a 100% guarantee that anybody can make that a company is never going to suffer a breach, right? Because it's just the, the, the environment is so complex. We've got... Remote workers, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we've got the cloud, and and it, the environment is just so darn complex um, that that is just very difficult for an organization to say to to their C level or to their board, hey, I, I absolutely one hundred percent guarantee you we will never suffer a breach, um, but you can do things to minimize impact or or even better make it hard for for that that group or that attacker. Um, make it so hard that you know what they're just going to move on to another company right
1: because you've made it too hard for them i'm so happy that you mentioned about the importance of having offline backups yeah um it kind of probably sounds a little too simple and trivial but the way i look at it is uh you know let's let's take a personal example uh, our house could get destroyed in a fire yeah so if you think about the possibility and then ask the question what all would i like you know to be protected i don't want to lose that stuff to fire so kind of taking an inventory of your priority items yes and then making sure that you've done everything possible whereby even in the event of fire you're not going to lose them yeah now i realize that there's a scale aspect to it large organizations tons of data located in all kinds of places. But even then, I think some of these simple rules and guidelines can work very well if there is a concerted effort to prioritize, to identify what's important, and then closely monitor how they are being backed up, you know, testing the recovery capabilities. So even in the event of an attack, they are minimizing the damage. Yeah. And that uh, warrants a question for you. Have you come across an instance where a company was a victim of a ransomware attack and they're like, doesn't matter. Thank you very much. we are we are all backed up. We're good to go. Oh, yeah. Has, has that happened? It has happened. I have seen companies that have have
2: been in that situation where, they're going to recover on their own. They've got good backups and they don't need to, they, you know, need to communicate with the, with the attacker. Um, But as I mentioned, now we're starting to see that double extortion, right? Where, where they're taking your data so that even if you can restore on your own, you now have to get in communication with them to get an assurance from them. And and that's all it is, right? It's an assurance from them that if you pay them, they will not release your data. Um, Now, you, you may ask, well, they still have your data. Can you believe them if they say they're not going to release your data if you pay them? You know for the threat actors, their business model is that such that you know, if they make an assurance to you because you've paid that they're not going to release your data, they're probably not going to release your data, right? You can't say 100%. But you know, this community is so small that if a threat actor group does not follow through on, on their uh, assurance, you know, the word gets out and then other other cybersecurity companies say, oh, this group, does." you know, even if you pay them, they don't you know, they still post your data um, that that destroys your business model. Right. So, um, yeah, the, the way these folks think is um, that, you know, if you pay, they're 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 going to follow through with with uh, with uh, what they've promised to you. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I recall having a conversation with a CIO one time that you uh, He said, you know, the uh, the the support that the threat actors were providing and helping restore, he said it was better than his own his own organization's uh, IT uh, support group. He said, you know, we'd ask him something, you know, we were having trouble restoration and they'd get right back to us and, you know, walking us through, he said. I mean, so it is a model design, at least for the threat actors, that if you pay, you know, they're they're going to follow through with what they what they promised as part of that payment. But
1: I've also heard that if you pay, you are in that list, and they know that if you are attacked again, you will pay again. Is that true? I, I did have an organization that uh, that in the space, I want to say
2: months, uh, was attacked by three different ransomware groups. Um, they paid the first time, and then literally a different group comes in the second time, They paid the second time and then a third group came in the third time before they were able to then get their environment so that they couldn't be attacked again. So uh, it happens, it does, it certainly happens.
1: Very, very interesting, concerning, but interesting. You mentioned cryptocurrency, you mentioned cyber insurance. I have a couple of questions in that area. But before I go there, we are aware of the, the colonial attack. Yes. And how the FBI was able to recover some of the ransom money. Given your experience with the FBI, uh, why is it so hard to get hold of these criminals and you know yeah. put them away? Yeah. Um, well,
2: unfortunately, a lot of these groups are are out of the reach of, of American law enforcement um, or or say Western European law enforcement, a lot of these groups are in, in, in countries where we don't have the best relations with. And, uh, you know, if, if we indict someone, um, say the Bureau, Department of Justice, indict a, a threat actor, um, if you can't get, you know, them into your, your control and your custody, then, you know, it makes it difficult to to be able to, to um, you know, put these individuals in jail and kind of show a deterrence. Uh, right now, the deterrence factor unfortunately is very low because you know you 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 know
1: it's it's very difficult to have these individuals um, arrested. That's tough. yeah uh, so what is your opinion about this thought that if crypto could be regulated, that might help mitigate? Uh, some of these types of attacks. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Well, and and with crypto being regulated, um, I mean, to some extent, it is regulated in, in the mm-hmm. United States, right? So mm-hmm. so um, there are rules, you know, regulatory standards that have to be followed in the United States, but how do you pass that on to, to other countries so that they have a better understanding of who... Who's signing up for these accounts, right? Um, because if you can, you can, you know, in the U.S. we have, you know, the the Know Your Customer laws, right, where you have to know, you have to know who it is who's opening an account. You know, those those laws don't necessarily transfer over to other countries where you you may be able to sign up over the internet and and you can, you know, be whoever you want to be, um, and it just makes it so much more difficult to. To, to identify these individuals as to who they are. Um, so I, I think more regulation, you know, probably will will help, but it's got to be international. It just can't be the US. saying, hey, we're going to do these things because, I mean, at the end of the day, cybercrime is a it's a transnational crime, right? Um, it is, you know, it's like, and and I look at it. You know, uh, from from my time when I was in the FBI. So, <laughs> when I was in the FBI, we used to investigate bank robberies, right? I would go to a bank robbery where someone would come in, and they'd hold up the bank with a gun. But they're leaving all kinds of uh, evidence, right? You know, there's video cameras. There's, uh, you know, DNA potentially you're leaving. You know, uh, you're leaving a lot of physical evidence. You know, there may be a marked police unit driving by. You know, there's silent alarms um so you know there's a lot of risk with with a physical bank robbery um to this day i think the fbi closure rate on bank robberies i, I want to say it's probably in the the 80 80 plus percent right so if you rob a bank you're probably going to get caught arrested and thrown in jail for a long time with with cyber you don't have to be on the u.s you don't have to be in the uk in france you don't have to be Anywhere near the country that you're attacking and conducting a ransomware, you can be virtually anywhere in the world conduct that activity. And again, if the rules are not consistent um, across the globe, this is where we run into problems. So if other countries don't recognize um, that these type of criminals, um, you know, right now they're say attacking the United States or they're attacking the UK, you know, they could potentially turn on your country and attack you as well. Um, so I really think we're at the point where where a regime needs to be put in place, you know, international standards on, on cooperation on these type of cyber criminals is, I, I think absolutely critical.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree with you. There needs to be a lot more cooperation globally. Yeah. If we want to have any success, are yes. uh, dealing with these uh, cyber criminals like you the examples you gave if they are operating from countries where there is very little regulation they are not being tracked or they are not being brought to justice yeah uh, there's there's no reason why they won't continue to engage in correct, correct. These kinds of these kinds of activities so true correct. so true. in fact I also want to take this opportunity to share with the listeners one of the realities of securing an organization. Um, Art spoke to that, Uh, even in my book, based on my research and my work with companies, um, you know, I found 17 success factors and they're associated with three uh, high-performance information security cultural traits. And I call these traits commitment, preparedness, and discipline. And each of these traits are associated with factors such as for commitment, there's hands-on top management, joint ownership, accountability, cross-functional participation. And I can go on. I don't want to uh, provide you with the long list, but the point I'm trying to make here is it is no easy task to manage these 17 factors. So it's, it's easy to blame and maybe get rid of the CISO and you make a point and it's a symbolic reaction, but There are just too many uh, vulnerabilities and uh, you have to really cover a lot of ground. And that's all the more reason why I have been preaching about making cybersecurity a distinctive competency, the extent to which top management gives it priority, the chances of effectively addressing these success factors are a lot higher than if you just give up and say, oh, you know what? We'll deal with it with it when it happens. Uh, there's, you know, too many vulnerabilities. We don't know where to start, and I've heard that from many organizations. Uh, your thoughts, uh,
2: Art? No, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, so this this is more than just a CISO problem. It's it's a it's a corporate problem, right? Because. You need the executives. You need you need the board. You need the executives. Um, you need the management, and you need the employees to all be in unison. In in how do we protect our company and how do we protect our company's information, whether that be you know uh, employee information, customer information, R and D. You know um, it, it's absolutely crucial that. It, it there's a there's a, a a unified approach you know that is that is you know with oversight from from the board with with concurrence you know from from senior management um with with middle management implementing and employees obviously following that 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 plan that are, that's been developed but to say, okay, we just leave it up to the CISO, and and you know they need to they need to fix it. You're just setting up that poor CISO for failure. It, it's it's moved beyond CISO. It's moved beyond the CIO. It's it really is a a corporate issue that needs to be addressed at at the highest levels of the organization.
1: I think you're talking about the board of directors. Yeah, uh, you know, providing oversight, requiring senior leadership to provide them with regular updates. And there might come a time, hopefully sooner than later, where the CISO reports directly to the board. To that extent, the CISO function can operate as independently as possible. Your thoughts?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna always be of the opinion, the, the closer you can get the CISO to the CEO or to, to the board, the better that organization is going to be because nothing is being, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to minimize filtering, right. Um, Cause I've seen CISO organizations buried under, under IT or, or operations. And, you know, when that happens and you know, you, you've got, you know, you've got, um, you know, the personalities involved um, you've got operations or the CIO that, you know, I got to have, you know, I've got to have the, the infrastructure always running anything that's going to slow it down potentially by, by the cybersecurity organization, you know, you know, not a good thing for me. Um, If, if, if I've got a budget and i have to provide it to the CISO that's a budget away from operations. So I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of anything that will get that CISO as close to the CEO or the board as possible so that they can have that, that, that influencing effect on these very key, either executives or, 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 or board members, right? So that they understand the risk directly. It's not being filtered in any way
1: when it's being reported. So true, so very true. And I think that an organization that truly cares about security, it should be a no brainer for the leadership to do exactly what you are saying that let the CISO operate as independently as possible. When I say CISO, I mean the team and let them directly report, whether it's the audit committee or the board of directors. So there is some independence to the reporting. And and I think that that would be a reflection of true commitment on the part of the organization towards cyber diligence, cybersecurity management. Um, So I wonder why that's not the norm, but- uh, you know, the, it's it's at least I'm glad we're having this discussion. Hopefully, folks are listening. Hopefully, uh, some actions can yeah. or will be will be taken.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've seen um, there's there's a bill. I don't know if it's getting much traction. Um, I believe in the Senate that will require uh, publicly trade organizations to have a board member who is knowledgeable uh, on cyber. Um, again, I don't know, I, I don't think it's getting much traction, right? Um, but uh, I, for me, you know, from what I've seen in the past 25 years of working cyber-related uh, crime and and working with organizations and in helping them protect themselves, I think that, that has some good viability, right? If you have someone that understands cyber at the board level, um, you know, they can, help in they can help the board in understanding the risk because at the end of the day right it's it's about risk and, and, and risk, risk acceptance um and 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 understanding how that
1: potentially would impact an organization absolutely it means of course it is desirable that you have somebody who understands cyber yeah. at a at a certain level of depth but i'd also argue that even if you didn't understand cyber we all know what's going on you know i was talking to the ceo of a major corporation and i asked him i said i keep getting these research reports that the senior leadership are not very willing to stay up to date under, undergo cybersecurity training and he says i don't know about other organizations but in my organization we you know, totally believe in continuous training. We are engaged. So I asked him, I said, so what convincing is required for all other organizations to do what you all do? And his reaction was, I don't know why there needs to be any convincing. You just have to read Wall Street Journal to see the consequences of these attacks. So if if that data is not compelling enough for people to sit up and say, you know what, even if I don't understand cyber I'm going to make every effort to understand as much as I can, or at least engage people and have regular conversations. So I'm securing my organization. You know, it's like sending your kids to school. Mm -hmm. I obviously don't understand all the subjects, the way the teachers do who teach them, but I want my kid to do well. So I would take every step as a parent to provide oversight, to provide guidance, to hire tutors, whatever yeah. it takes to help the kid be successful. And I think if that kind of mindset prevails, um, we will, we would do a lot better.
2: Yeah. 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 But I, I'd I like, agree with you,
1: but I'd like you uh, to wrap it up for us with some final words. I so appreciate you coming this afternoon to talk to us. Uh, so
2: no, of course they, yeah, no. So, so final words is, I mean, I get it. It is cybersecurity is hard. Um, <laughs> if someone says it's it's easy, I, again, I I I, I would uh, raise an eyebrow and um, ask, you know, how can you think that? It is difficult. Um, the environments are complex the 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 threat actors are getting more and more aggressive and sophisticated but there are things we can do right we just can't throw up our arms and say you know i i there's no way i can defend against this Um, there are things we can do to to better protect organizations Um, there are there's messaging that we can do with the c level and the board to get them more um you know involved in understanding what the what the threat is the threat is to the organization so I certainly will, would never say there's just nothing we can do uh, there are things we can do um, and I, I it's always going to be very important in my opinion to have a plan right have a plan put that plan in place and follow your plan
1: well thank you again thanks for coming it's been a pleasure thank you Dave appreciate it a special thanks to Art Yoon for his time and insights if you like what you heard please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network. Also subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.
0: The information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only. The discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.